Hi, I'm Sarah Humphreys, the executive editor of Real Simple, a busy stepmother of two, and an amateur cook who loves to cook and eat, but has lots of questions. And I'm Sarah Karnasevich, the food editor of RealSimple.com, and working mom of a hungry toddler who tries to give you all the answers. Welcome to Things Cooks Know, the weekly podcast where the professional cook, that's Sarah Kay, shares insider advice and secrets that the busy amateur cook, that's me, can use in her own kitchen. It's November now. And for the entire month, essentially, we are devoting it to just one day of cooking. This day, as you probably imagine, is Thanksgiving. And though it is just one day, it takes on this, like, otherworldly major stress mm-hmm. and can be incredibly overwhelming and stressful and aggravating and frustrating and disappointing. Yeah. If you do things. <laughs> If you make some mistakes. And you actually have a really funny story about Thanksgiving. Yeah, I can... This is to make everyone else feel better. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be like the professional voice on this podcast, I guess. But, you know, in the for the sake of full transparency, <laughs> I just want to say that no one, you should feel okay about this because no one is immune to Thanksgiving disaster. And my own Thanksgiving horror stories are really, really... <laughs> really horrible. The first year, and the only year, in fact, because it was so bad that I wasn't allowed to to host after this, but the first year that I hosted Thanksgiving, now this was a long time ago, so it was a decade ago, early in my independent life, but I was living out west in New Mexico, and my whole family came out uh, for Thanksgiving, and I was so excited to host in my own house, my own kitchen. And I really, well, first of all, I made one of the, you know, primary mistakes that people make, which is that I was overambitious. Of course. So I tried to do way too many things. I got this giant bird. I didn't do a dry run in my oven. I really didn't use my oven a lot. So I I wasn't really up on like its quirks. I didn't have an oven thermometer. I was in a place where, you know, we were at high altitude. So I was going to have to cook it differently than I would have back east where I grew up. All of these things uh, resulted in the fact that when it came time to lay out this beautiful feast that I had dreamed up for my family, the turkey was raw. I mean, it was raw. There was no, like, my dad tried to, like, poke at it and be like, oh, yeah, this looks good. And he took a few bites. But the look of horror on my family's face um, couldn't be disguised. And the it, it ended in my actually leaving the house in tears. Like, I had to go for a walk around the block. And a week later, I got a package after my parents had gone home. I got a package in the mail (laughs) from my parents that was a book called Thanksgiving 101. (laughs) So, (laughs) and there you have it. And there you have it. No one is immune to disaster. And every year, there's like an excuse why I'm not supposed to be hosting. (laughs) That said, I've learned a lot. So, I can offer you all some advice taking the failures of my past and moving ahead with them and to prevent you all from the shame that I experienced. And we felt like we would do our first Thanksgiving episode on these pitfalls because this is the barrier to get getting anyone to really host, I think, is like either that's happened to you, a raw turkey, yeah. or you just the specter of a dried out turkey or something is just like looming in front of you and you just want nothing to even, you don't want to do it. You kind of have it. to jump in. Like yeah. something's going to go wrong. 
It's but it's still going to be okay. So let's just get into it, right? Okay. So like we so we can talk about raw turkey maybe at the end. Mm-hmm. Wrap it up with a bow about what you learned about raw turkey, you know, how to prevent raw turkey. <laughs> you don't want to serve raw but turkey. The, the, That's counter, what I the counterpoint to raw turkey of course is dry turkey, which I think a lot 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 of people have a problem with this. I mean, yeah. it's you know, it's like known turkey's known for being dry. I think that's why you have gravy, but how do we prevent it? Well, what happens? Why do you have dry turkey in the first place? Okay. Well, when you're talking about dry turkey, you're really talking about dry You're talking about rest. turkey. Yeah. And <laughs> here's the thing. It's like Thanksgiving, you know, this big bronzed bird at the center of your table. I mean, it's really like the focal point. It's like the crowning jewel of mm-hmm. your table. But I think because we're hung up on this like iconography of this big bird. Right. In the, the Norman table, Rockwell. Yeah. You're actually setting yourself up for failure because it's kind of impossible to cook a whole turkey and have all of its parts be cooked correctly because they're they're not meant to be uh, cooked with the same methods or the same amount of time. Like the the breast, which is where your white meat is, um, you really you only have to cook to about 145 degrees. Mm-hmm. Um, that's after that point is when it's going to start to dry out. But like the legs and the thighs, where you have the darker meat and some, the connective tissue, those need to be cooked to 165. I see. So by the time you get the legs and the thighs to where they have to be, the breast is already drying out. And is it also just because it's so a turkey's so ginormous that like the outside is getting cooked faster than the inside? So yeah, and it, you know, and also things can throw it off depending on how you stuff it. There are a lot of factors. But if you want to sort of make it easier on yourself and really have the parts of the turkey taste their best, you want to separate them. So you got to let go of the idea of that big bird. Okay. And that means cooking the breast separate from the legs. And in our November issue this year, we have an amazing recipe for just the breast, which is dressed with this carrot, like an herb butter, a mm-hmm. caraway lemon mm-hmm. butter. And that you do that, you do just the breast alone and you cook it to 145 and you pull it then, you're actually going to have moist turkey. Also much easier to carve. Yes. And, and then, you know, you still have the legs and you could even get a few extra legs and have that as a whole like, separate dish for the people who really like dark meat. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of them. I mean, I would much rather have the legs and the thighs than the breast personally. But you could do something really over the top, like, you know, braise them in wine or even in your slow cooker, sort of cook them confit style. And there will be super succulent But the good delicious. thing about that is, too, if you use your slow cooker, you're not taking up your oven. Right. Like, you, you're <clears> saving My worry, of room. course, is, you know, a turkey alone in your oven takes up so much space. But if you're separating the parts and cooking them in different ways, I feel like that's just like a whole other issue oven space issues so people will go in you make turkey leg confit Mm -hmm. and then you stick them under the broiler at the last minute and crisp them up people will never want to eat a whole turkey again and do you with the turkey parts can you buy them separately at the store or do you at you ask your butcher um i think there you might some places be able to find the breast separately but you're probably better off just assuming that you're going to have to ask for it but it's not a big task Mm -mm. for a butcher to do okay okay I also think that the whole the whole turkey on the platter with like the you know whatever the greenery surrounding it and everybody owing, owing it on and like if you did that you have to bring it back to the kitchen and let it rest for like forever how long to like you know right you can't yeah. just carve a turkey right out of as it comes to the oven anyway so I just feel like it's 
Let's also, it looks that. pretty for like four seconds until <laughs> exactly. someone massacres it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Except if you have Dr. Lawrence Bowen, who oh, is right. always at our Thanksgiving. And a he's pro. A, he's a plastic surgeon. <laughs> it's hilarious. Okay. So let's go on to gravy. I've never attempted gravy in my whole life. And I actually would be totally happy dying having never attempted gravy. It totally terrifies me. And I think it can go two ways, right? It can be really gloppy and thick, mm-hmm. or it can be completely watery and have no body whatsoever. Yeah. And I think, so we, in our, in the current issue, we propose kind of um, an alternate route <laughs> for your gravy, rather than using like a flour or cornstarch thickener with the um, pan juices, which, you know, can, like you said, it can go either way. It can either mm-hmm. be bland and watery, or you can get that sort of lumpy flavor like kind of gray gravy we suggest and i think this is a great way to go that you start with kind of a mix of aromatics like onions and herbs and some bacon and you cook those for sort of like a layered so you're making you're making a gravy out of the aromatics and some and some veggies and a little bacon for flavor okay. that, that meaty flavor so you're not relying on your turkey yes you're not and cool. and then so you're sauteing those ingredients in your skillet you're adding you're simmering them in broth and then here's the trick to the super smooth instead of just like you know killing your arm whisking a pan gravy you're popping these all in a blender and you're blending them until smooth and then if you want to thicken it you can like simmer it a little bit more after that but you have a really layered flavor from all of those ingredients and you can make it ahead um, so you're not relying See, on that yeah. that's brilliant yeah you can make it through like three days ahead and, and just leave fine it in, in your fridge and yeah. then you just heat it up mm-hmm. oh yeah that really saves a lot of problems <laughs> and it's gonna taste great <laughs> and it's gonna go beautifully with your turkey and all those herbs will kind of you know echo your you know the things that are sort of staples in your stuffing and things like that all right uh, mashed potatoes. So I had always heard that you need to make your mashed potatoes pretty much at the last minute mm-hmm. because otherwise they're going to get cold and gummy and mm-hmm. gross. And I have had gummy mashed potatoes. They're disgusting. But that is such a pain. I mean, you know, one of the things I think we should talk about in a future episode is about mm-hmm. the actual timing. I mean, maybe right. should, uh, Like the choreography of... <laughs> so scary. Yeah. But I think that in the meantime, let's talk about the mashed potatoes. Trying to mash the mashed potatoes right before you're serving your dinner sounds... Nuts to me. Yeah. And it's not necessary. So, I, I mean, nobody wants the gummy, cold potatoes that you're talking about. Right. But the truth is you can you can make them ahead of time. And the key is instead of trying to heat them on a stovetop where you're just like adding milk and you can't get the consistency right. And then they're too soft or they're too, too blue. Someone told me like, to use a double boiler. And I was mm-hmm. like, you are taking this way too far. <laughs> All you need to Ugh. do is have them in like an oven safe casserole dish. Okay. Cover them and put them, heat them up in the oven. And they will come out hot, not gluey. And then if you want to get that silky flavor right before serving, just warm up a little butter, so melted butter, mm-hmm. hot, and stir that in right at the end. That's Delicious. all you have to do. Okay. It's that simple. So the fact- And you can make like an herb butter if you want to dress it up or uh-huh. like a little garlic butter or something like that for a little splash of flavor. But the, the butter is going to kind of make it all come together at okay. the end. So that's good. So basically you're making your gravy and your, st- and your mashed potatoes completely ahead. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So then we go to stuffing. You know... <laughs> <laughs> so many people have their favorite stuffing, the stuffing they, you know, they will never live without, and the whole thing about in the bird versus outside mm-hmm. the bird. I mean, maybe we should touch on that for a second. 
I feel like I've always yeah. heard you just should not put it in the bird. It complicates things. It's totally. going to change your cooking time. One of the issues, so, you know, the, the complaint that people always brought up, which made it into our current issue, is this problem of having gummy stuffing. And definitely, if you're putting the stuffing inside the bird, you run more of that risk because the moisture and like the weight of the bird is going to kind of break down your bread even more. So I think you can veer more towards the gummy direction with that. So I think you're safer serving it on the side. You're just removing some of the variables. Right. And the other thing that you should remember when it comes to like having a stuffing that's nice and chewy and, and not mushy and gummy is that it really all comes down to the bread. So what does that mean? Uh, you don't want soft bread. Soft bread is the enemy because it's going to, like I said, like sort of fall apart mm-hmm. under the moisture mm-hmm. of the other ingredients that you're stirring into your stuffing. Or yeah. the, you know, And so you want to look for a nice hearty loaf with, with a real crust on it. You know, something like a, a sourdough bowl is kind of ideal. And in fact, you know, you want it to be a day or two old if possible. And if you're working with a fresh bread, the trick is that you should really toast it until it is crispy before you. So it's until cut it's it. crispy, not just kind of like a little. Yeah, you want it to have like. To be not hard, like hard to the touch, right. but to have, to not just give, not okay. just yield when you touch it. And that will give it the strength to kind of hold up to all those other things that I was talking about. And it will give you this kind of lighter, chewier texture once it's cooked. Okay. That sounds pretty easy. Yeah. I think the thing that people, when they're thinking of their Thanksgiving spreads, we've talked about the kind of the building, a lot of the building blocks already. Then they need a green. And I think you do need a green, correct? Mm -hmm. Oh, Um, totally. Most people... And we're not just talking about, like, Brussels sprouts or something like that. Right, which is, you know... But it is nice to have, like, a crispy, like, cool moment or Mm -hmm. cool-ish or at least room temperature just to, like, break up all this, like, heavy, chewy, soft stuff. So a salad, not a bad idea, correct? Yeah, definitely want a salad. Okay, but then what happens when you've just got this, like, lame, you know, then speaking of untouched, you've got this lame salad in the corner. Right. It's not like this showpiece right. of the things. It's not the thing that no, I'm like, oh, it's Thanksgiving. Salad. I can't wait for the salad. Like, <laughs> But it doesn't have to be that way. Okay. I mean, in fact, so Brussels sprouts, you could totally make the Brussels sprouts part of the salad if you did, like, a shaved Brussels sprout salad. And, you know, so many stores now, you can they you can buy them pre-shaved or... Yep. Toss that with some other little greens or just on its own or with cabbage so it's sort of like a slaw. And some just like a really light vinaigrette, some sharp cheese thrown in there, maybe some pine nuts. That's a beautiful crunchy salad that still brings in this kind of iconic component of the Thanksgiving table, but just in a kind of fresher, brighter, crunchier way. A less offensive manner. Yeah. And, you know, there's no need for the, like, salad to be, like, this afterthought because there are so many great fall salads. I think the thing to think about for this meal in particular is that you want a salad that is going to not require too much attention. So something that's going to taste great and look great even if it sits at room temperature for a little while. Another nice direction to take it in is if, like, if you're roasting some root vegetables, just 
make some of those and then at the last minute, you know, then those always taste good at room temperature mm-hmm. just with like a little balsamic vinaigrette on them and toss them with some arugula or something like that at the last minute or just lay them out on a platter with that. And you have kind of a mix of textures that way. And again, it's of a piece with the rest of the things that are on your table, but it's going to just look really pretty and provide this sort of resting place between all of the other heavy stuff. Or you could do a beet salad with just chopped apples. So that really sort of sweet and sour crunchiness. Mm -hmm. We have a recipe, which maybe I've mentioned before for like a wilted radicchio salad which you can just either wilt the radicchio on the grill or you could do it in a hot skillet and then just put that on a big platter with some crumbled goat cheese and some thyme and some sliced grapes it's Mm. beautiful i think the key is like think of something crunchy right Mm -hmm. you need like a little crunch because the rest of the meal is just pretty intense and the other thing is you just don't want to go for, like, the mixed greens with the balsamic vinaigrette that just sit there in a sad pile. Like, this is not just, like, a side salad moment. You want this is something like, visually interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cranberry sauce. I mean, again, polarizing. Some people have, you know, they like the can. They like the the. the yeah, they want it to the come out in that shape. I have to say I'm totally yeah. into that. Like, I don't really care about fancifying my cranberry sauce. But people also, you know, it's very easy to make, right? Yeah, it is. But you can kind of mess it up. Yeah, I think, you know, the the problem that people have is you're making it. So you're basically simmering your cranberries with some sugar. Mm -hmm. And you're waiting for the berries to break down. And I think people panic in that process because it doesn't look like it's getting thick enough. Mm -hmm. And they keep adding more sugar and cooking it longer. And, like, when's it going to thicken? When's it going to thicken? And what you end up with then is this, like, (laughs) tooth-shattering... cranberry sauce that is a blob yep and you just need to relax okay everybody just relax (laughs) the cranberry sauce will thicken up as it cools so go easy on the sugar don't cook it for three hours it's going to be fine and if you want to add layers of flavor to it think you know, in other areas besides just sweeteners or orange, which is kind of yeah. So you know, we I like to recommend like you know, citrus is nice, but why not try some grapefruit Mm. instead of just orange? Or um, I think the recipe that we include in the issue this year has some diced dried fruit, like dried apricots in it, which again, sweet, but it's not just like the straightforward sweetness, Mm -hmm. and it gives a little bit of texture to, you know, like a chunkier sauce. And, you know, you could put herbs in there, a little bit of rosemary. Not a, so much that it's hitting you over the head, but it's just this little note that takes it in a different direction. It feels a little bit more grown up. I think that those kinds of those grown up cranberry sauces are really good for leftovers. Yeah. More so than the canned version. I feel like the canned version has really nice body and holds up on the plate. Except that if you want to put a slice really well. on a sandwich. Oh, that's, that's true. Slice you can, from you the can. You can actually slice those. Speaking of things that take practice, I mean, yeah. that's what I've always been in charge of every year is the pies. And I, you know, I do do it from scratch and it's taken me years of kind of very patient dough making to try to make something that actually doesn't totally look like crap and mm-hmm. taste really r- tough after, you know, hours of kneading. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, if you do not if you do not have the luxury of time to only make pies and to really work on your rolling and, and crimping, mm-hmm. et cetera, technique, 
what can you do if you're in charge of pies this year and you don't know what you're doing? So this is what our test kitchen recommended this year, and I think it's brilliant. And that is instead of making your traditional apple pie or pumpkin pie or whatever, make a, a tart with like a press-in crust. Mm-hmm. So you're still making a dough, but you're not rolling it out and right. shaping it all right. the same way. You're That's not where making the problem a comes. Crust, like, all that. The dough is hard enough to make, but it's really it really your mistakes come to come into light when you're trying to roll it out. And you know, the the truth is that the the you know, a tart pan with one of the removable bottoms mm-hmm. and a little fluted edge, it's sort of like a, a secret trick like everything you do looks beautiful mm-hmm. when you use one of those. So it really it's going to come out looking like you have this like beautiful store-bought tart but it's going to be like minimal tears and pain in the process (laughs) and so you you make your dough you press it into the tart pan the beautiful fluted tart pan and then you're filling instead of doing all the like peeling and slicing of apples Mm -hmm. and all that make an italian style crostata which is basically a jam tart with a very simple, like a lattice style crust on top, but you don't—it's not like here we go with the lattice. Out. I know, I know, I know. It sound, but believe me, <laughs> trust me. This version is not like rolling out twelve different pieces of dough and weaving them all over each other. So the nice thing about the crostata is because it's a jam filling, you're you're only limited by like the kind of jam you can find. So you can take this in a million different seasonal directions mm-hmm. and. You can ju- you can invest in some really beautiful jam, and it will go a long way. It it will make your dessert, and they just look so pretty. They sort of sparkle like jewels. All you do is is heat the jam up and pour it in. Yeah, that's it. And then at the very end, you can like sprinkle a little bit of confectioner's sugar on top. Pretty, and it kind of looks like a giant Linzer cookie. It's beautiful. Anyone who is a real simple reader as well as a listener of this podcast, I'm just going to let you know that in the November issue, where a lot of these recipes Sarah's talking about are in, and in fact, they are all online at realsimple.com as well, if you just search Thanksgiving pitfalls, basically. But the raspberry crostata that is in the issue looks really complicated. And <laughs> I did, when I was editing the story, I made this big point of the fact that we did have this lattice on top because to me, it was just like that completely, took it the, yeah. oh, forget it. I'm never, I'm never doing the lattice. But you can get away with not doing oh, the yeah. lattice Oh, yeah. You well. can. You don't and have it is, to. And it's not difficult. But even so, I think that like for people who are just not It's not, not like you to, can't make, you can't serve it without it. It's just right. kind of like, it takes it to the holiday place, I feel like. Well, know? and it also like really makes people say, you're an incredible baker. Yeah. <laughs> and it, so. and it's, it's sort of like a minimal effort to get that result, like considering the other things that go into this tart. True. Yeah. True. We should wrap up by talking, going back to your raw turkey for a second. What was the main lesson you learned about your raw turkey? For me, what I really took away from it, well, well, two things. One, uh, it takes a lot longer to defrost a turkey than you might think. So, like, you should not be shopping for your frozen turkey the day before Thanksgiving if you want to sleep soundly at night. <laughs> and then, secondly, you should know your oven before you go into it. Don't just be like, oh, I'm just going to throw the turkey in the oven and... I'll go check on it in a few hours and it'll be fine. Because it won't. It just definitely won't be fine. And so things like if you don't use your oven a lot, like go do a test run. Like if you're not making roasts, try a few, you know, have a Sunday supper. Like a 
a few weeks before Thanksgiving where you do cook a large piece of something (laughs) and get an oven thermometer. See if it is the temperature your oven is reading is accurate. And I will say, too, for our safe space question that we wanted to ask this week, no question is too stupid for this podcast. And we did a little bit of crowdsourcing in terms of Thanksgiving to get this safe space question. So it's not one person's question. It's And it's a quite obvious one. Times. Uh, you know, it, it goes back to what you were saying about the turkey. It is, you know, you get Thanksgiving morning. You're so excited. Your turkey's been defrosting in the fridge for a couple of days. You pull it out and it's still hard as a rock. What do you do? So we've researched this a kajillion times at Real Simple because it's a problem. Um, And it really is about taking your turkey out of the fridge, putting it in some cool water, submerging it, breast side down. Mm -hmm. And it will will thaw out much more quickly than it will... And it will in the refrigerator. So that's kind of your that's that's cool your water. way to go. Yeah, cool water, but it's the way to do it. I think we we say it's about. But just don't leave it to the last minute. No, no, no. Like if 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 your bird is pretty solid, our experts say about half hour per pound. Well, it'll take if it's in the cool water. But if you're if it's already been in the fridge for a few days, which it should be, it may take about a half hour total. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks for <laughs> for joining us and thanks for sharing your. <laughs> Your story. And it'll be okay. Uh, it'll okay, everybody, again. it'll be okay. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> We'd like to thank our producer, Tim Einenkel. And if you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us comments there. If you have anything to tell us, we'd love to hear about them. For a million more great cooking tips and a ton, ton, ton of Thanksgiving recipes, you can head to realsimple.com. If you have topics you'd like us to cover next time or safe space questions you'd like us to answer, you can tweet them to us at Sarah P. Humphreys or at SQ Karn. We'll be back next week. <laughs>